Let's pray. Father, may the words of our mouths, the meditations of our heart be pleasing and acceptable to you. And Father, may your word burn like fire in our hearts that we would comprehend this very challenging, difficult book to understand. Teach us how to lament. And at the same time, teach us how to humbly and boldly come before you, Father, with all confidence knowing that you answer in your due time and that you are good and that you're faithful and that your mercies are new every morning. And we ask these things in your precious name, Jesus. Amen and amen. You all may be seated. Well, welcome to the church at Woodbine. I know it is cold outside. It might be cold in your bodies too. I know that the flu is going around, but I want to welcome all of you today, those worshiping online. Welcome to the church at Woodbine. Today, we're starting a new sermon series, and it's going to be a short one, just three Sundays. It's the book of, now I can't even pronounce it because I got Abacuc in Spanish in my brain, Habakkuk, Habakkuk, Abacuc in Spanish, however you want to say it. Maybe in your own home language, you've got a different way of saying it, but Habakkuk. And one of our pastors, he sent a funny little picture this past week. And this is how it goes. And go ahead and put Boromir up. I think it's Boromir. When the pastor says, open your Bibles to Habakkuk, and immediately starts reading, give them a moment for pity's sake. Habakkuk, where is it? You know, we're in this technological age where we have it in our phones. We have it on the screen. But if you got your Bible, try to find it. It's in between Genesis and Revelation, somewhere in between those two books. You'll find it. But it's an Old Testament prophet, Habakkuk. It's only three chapters long. And it's a prophecy on lament. Now, what is lament? Well, this is the definition of lament. It's a passionate expression of grief and sorrow. It is to mourn. Now, here's my question for you. Who here likes to lament? Anybody like to lament? A powerful expression of mourning or of grief? Who here likes to lament? Let's be honest. Anybody? Absolutely not. Look at our sitcoms on TV. They're 25 minutes long, maybe 45 minutes long. There's a protagonist. There's a challenge. And within 25 minutes, they go through the valley of the shadow of death and come out victorious. How many of our movies end in tragedy? So few. So few. How many of us enjoy going through lament and sorrow? We don't. I sure don't. But it is something that we see all throughout Scripture. Jesus himself on the cross said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I've got a couple questions I'm just going to ask all of us in rhetorical, for myself included. Have you ever, have we ever asked, why do bad things happen to good people? If you could ask God one hard question, what would it be? What are the challenging questions that you wish you could ask God, but you're too afraid to ask? Because it might reveal your immaturity in Christ, your own selfishness, or maybe even your own pride. Another question is this. Have you ever felt like you were all alone? God was silent, distant, absent, and he really didn't care. Have you ever asked God for answers 
And all you got back is that things are going to get worse before they get better. Man, we're supposed to have Thanksgiving lunch today. And Doug, you you are dropping all these heavies on us. Lament. You know, I was trying to think of a fun story about lament. But I got a question for you guys before I share. I got two quick stories to share. But have you ever been in a situation where you were done wrong or dirty and it just wasn't fair? You got the raw end of the deal. Anybody experience getting just the wrong end of the deal. It just wasn't fair. You were passed over in a job, work, you studied hard, you still got an F on that test. Your mom punished you and it wasn't your fault. It was your older sister's fault. Any of that ever happened to, happened to you? Where you something happened to you and it really, it truly, it was not fair. I've got a fun story years ago. And you guys are falling asleep. No, I'm just teasing. Years ago, when I was in Europe, I was traveling. We were on a mission trip and I was in Prague in the Czech Republic. And we were staying at youth hostels. And back then, before there were any type of smartphones, anything digitally, you had to buy all of your tram tickets, train tickets, bus tickets. You had to get an actual physical, real-life piece of paper ticket. And where we were staying in our youth hostel, it was about 30 minutes outside of Prague. And out at that youth hostel, there were no places to buy a ticket to get back on the tram. And so we had to calculate how many times we were going out to the youth hostel and how many times we had come back into town. And we were there for about four or five days. And on our two-and-a-half-month mission trip, we were told by thousands of travelers, ah, oh, you don't have to pay for any of those city trams. Anywhere and everywhere, you can just get on. They're never going to check you. The police aren't going to check you. It'll be fine. And it was true in almost every country at the time. It didn't matter if you're in Belgium, France, Germany, Switzerland, Italy. It didn't matter. You could get on a bus. You could get on a tram. You could get on a train. And you wouldn't have to show anybody any ticket. And so everyone would do it. They would lie, cheat, and steal and not pay for their ticket. But if you got caught, whoo, the fine you would get was extraordinary. So being good Christians, we wanted to walk in integrity. So we were always buying our tickets. And the people that we had traveled with, meet up with, they're like, why are you buying tickets? Like, no one's going to catch you. Why spend the extra couple bucks? Well, we're believers. We're Christians. We want to walk in integrity. So that's how we rolled. And for whatever reason, my traveling partner, he miscalculated the amount of tickets. And we had to get from our youth hostel back into the center part of Prague to get on our train, and we are going to Germany. And he couldn't find his ticket. It was like two bucks. The fine, if you got caught, was about 150 bucks. And I'm like, look, I'm like, we're almost two months into this trip. No one has stopped us. We know you bought the ticket. You lost it. There's no place we can buy a ticket. Let's just run the risk. Let's get on the tram. I mean, chances of us getting caught. And I mean, God's going to protect us. I mean, we haven't been stealing at all. We've been buying our tickets. We'll be fine. We get on the tram and we go about three stops. And about that time, click, 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 some type of whistle or something. And everybody's like, oh. And this guy in the back of the tram gets up. He pulls out his badge. Ticket check. We came to him. We explained to him whatever happened. He's like, sorry, you owe me 150 bucks. He wrote us a ticket right there. For us, that was about six days worth of living expenses on our travel. So for like the next three weeks, we ate bread, water, and apples. Was he guilty of not having a ticket? Yes. Was it fair in our eyes? No. Has anything ever happened to you that didn't seem fair and you call out to God, God, this isn't fair. Now I'm sharing a funny story and yeah, it cost our pocketbook a lot. 
but in real life situations where we go through depressions or struggles or trials or temptations or loss or sickness. And it truly is hard. And we call out to the Lord, this is not fair. Yesterday, as I was finishing up the sermon, I was just, I was finishing up and I just checked the news. And I want to show you a picture of a little bitty girl. It's a famous picture from World War II. This lady's name, her name is Alice Grusova. I'm not going to pronounce it right. She was left on a bench at the train station in Prague at the beginning of World War II. Her parents were Jewish. And she has not, she never met her parents. She has no memory of her parents. And this story came out in CNN. You can also find it in USA Today, Fox News. And it was on internet yesterday. And a year and a half ago, during COVID, she got in touch with some extended family members. While during World War II, she lost 120 relatives to the Holocaust. As she got older, she found one distant cousin who survived World War II and the Holocaust. That's it. She was adopted and then abandoned and then adopted again. Grew up, got married, has three boys, like six grandchildren, like five great-great-grandchildren. And just two years ago, she got connected with an extended family member who she never knew who was living in Israel. So just this past year, she traveled to Israel as an 80-year-old woman and met one of her relatives. This is just one of the websites here. I put it on just so you can look it up if you want to read the article. It was an extremely depressing article. And the person who wrote the article really tried to put some silver lining around the story. But here's a woman who is abandoned in the train station as a little toddler. She, never, she has no memory of her parents. She lost all of her siblings, all of her aunts and uncles, her grandparents, everyone that she was related to, gone. Was adopted and then abandoned and then adopted again. And she's pretty much run the race of her life. Tremendous suffering, tremendous lament. And the question that I asked earlier, have you ever asked God, why do bad things happen to good people? We all ask it. And right here in the book of Habakkuk, chapter one, it's a lament. And I want everybody to stand. We're going to read just the first couple of verses again. Let's stand. Habakkuk chapter one. And I'm going to try to paint this picture to you of what the life of Habakkuk was like in his time span, what was going on in his country and his nation, what was life like for his people and how he responded when he saw violence and evil and oppression all around. Habakkuk says, the pronouncement that the prophet Habakkuk saw, verse two, how long, Lord, must I call for help? And you don't listen or cry, and, or I cry out to you about violence and you do not save. Why do you force me to look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Oppression and violence are right in front of me. Strife is going on and conflict escalates. This is why the law is ineffective and justice never emerges. For the wicked restrict the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. You may have a seat. Why and how long? When will you respond? Those are three common questions that Habakkuk asks all throughout the book. But if you look all throughout the Psalms, where, O Lord, are you? Why don't you respond? Why don't you answer? How long are you going to let evil and injustice and wickedness happen? 
So why does Habakkuk start with this huge lament where he says, how long, Lord, must I call for help? And you do not listen. Has it ever happened to you where you call out to God and you pray and you pray and you pray and it seems like he's closed his ears and he does not listen? I have. You see so much wickedness around you. What does he say? He says, this is why the law is ineffective and justice never emerges. For the wicked restrict righteousness. What an accusation. Habakkuk is saying there's so much evil, there's so much wickedness going on that your law doesn't work. Where's your righteousness? Where's your justice? Where are you, God? Now, what's going on culturally? What is happening? Habakkuk lived at the end of the 7th century BC, before Christ. He wrote this book, inspired by the Holy Spirit, sometime around 610 BC. To give you a cultural context of what is happening, if you remember the story of Israel, when they're enslaved in Egypt, God calls, calls Moses down. He rescues them out of Egypt. They travel up to the promised land. And for several centuries, there is no king in Israel. But the people call out for a king. So there's King Saul, then King David, then King Solomon. Are you following? Are you tracking with me? At the height of King David and King Solomon reign, it's about 80 years total. It's when Israel, the people of Israel are wealthy, they're prosperous. Where Israel is located on, located on the east side of the Mediterranean, they are the bridge to Asia, Africa, and Europe. It's an extremely wealthy, tiny country, the size of maybe New Hampshire. Israel is not that big. But at the end of Solomon's life, because of his own immorality, wickedness, the kingdom was ripped in two. Israel was the northern kingdom, Judah the southern kingdom. Israel lasted about two centuries. Not once did they have a righteous, holy, God-fearing king. And God used the Assyrian empire to wipe Israel off the map. Judah was not that far behind Israel. Judah was the southern kingdom. And God would send prophet after prophet, both to Israel and Judah. Repent, turn back to the Lord, humble yourself, seek the Lord's face, look to him. Judah, the southern kingdom, from time to time, would repent and humble themselves. But they had a king, King Manasseh, who was so wicked. And he reigned for 50 years. He was so wicked that God finally said, I've had enough of you, Judah. You will be exiled for 70 years. And during the time of Habakkuk, there was a king, Jehoiakim. I cannot pronounce his name well. He ruled Judah. He was immoral, wicked, evil, He didn't care about God. He didn't seek God's face. He didn't want anything to do with the Lord. The wealthy of Judah were oppressing the poor. There was idolatry, sexual immorality, and evil was increasing. And instead of turning to the Lord for restoration and help, the king of Judah would turn to Egypt for protection. And the wickedness is so evil that there were very few people who truly loved the Lord during Habakkuk's time. Even the prophets and the priests were walking in wickedness. And it's so bad that Habakkuk says, evil is so bad, there's so much injustice that the law is ineffective. 
And he calls out to the Lord, why and where and how long I call out to you and you never answer. Are you guys tracking with me? There's a verse in Matthew chapter 24, verse 12, or is it 25, 12? I've given it to the guys in the back where Jesus is talking about the end times and Jesus tells his apostles, because lawlessness will multiply, the love of many will grow cold. I've shared this verse in the past because I've watched over the past couple of years as we've gone through COVID, as we've gone through financial strife and just the political vitriol that's in our country. As I watch the hardness of heart of our society, and I'm watching, I'm watching what is happening. Lawlessness is multiplying in our culture. That the love of many is growing cold. It concerns me greatly. And as Habakkuk is watching lawlessness multiply day after day, and there are so few who love the Lord, and he calls out, how long, Lord? Why don't you answer me? Where are you? When will you respond? Well, God does respond right here in verse five. Look at what God says and look how he responds. He says, look at the nations and observe. Look at the nations and observe. And then he says, be utterly astounded for I'm doing something in your days that you will not believe when you hear about it. And then for the next several verses, he describes what is called the Chaldeans. It's Babylon. It's the Babylonian empire. And at that point in time, Babylon was an empire east. It's modern day Iraq. It was rising in power, but it was not the huge international empire that it would become. God is saying to Habakkuk, as Habakkuk is lamenting and mourning the wickedness and evil of his own people, as Habakkuk is mourning the wickedness of his king and of the prophets and of the priests, as he mourns and laments, as he calls out to God, bring revival, bring transformation, bring renewal, touch and change my country, touch and change my people. We need massive revival. And he accuses God, but you don't listen, you don't answer, you don't save. Where are you? And God does answer. And God says, I'm going to raise up and do something that when you hear it, you won't believe. But I'm going to raise up the Babylonians. And then he describes their army. He says, look, I'm raising them up. A bitter, impetuous nation that marches across the earth's open spaces to seize territories not its own. They are fierce and terrifying. Their views of justice and sovereignty stem from themselves. Then he describes their army. The horses are swifter than leopards and more fierce than night wolves. The horsemen charge ahead from distant lands and they fly like eagles, swooping down to devour. All of them come to do violence. Their faces are set in determination and they gather prisoners like the sand and they mock kings and they laugh at the cities and their, and their defenses. And their God is what? Their own strength is their God. And God's response to, to Habakkuk is not one of incredible compassion and of liberation and of comfort, but what God and how God responds to Habakkuk is, oh, I'm going to answer and I'm going to raise up another nation. They're called Babylon. And their army is going to come in and their army is powerful. It's swift. It's mighty. 
They're more wicked than you are, Judah. And they're going to wipe you out. They're idolatrous. They're self-centered. They're impetuous. They're bitter. They do not love me, God. And they're going to come in and they're going to destroy you. Sounds wonderful, doesn't it? You see, Habakkuk had the humility where he had the boldness to call God out. Where is your justice? Where is your mercy? Where is your saving right hand? Because all I see in front of me is evil and wickedness. Where are you, God? And God responds by saying, yes, and actually, you know what? There's going to be more strife and there's going to be more hardship and there's going to be more pain. Because your people refuse to repent. They refuse to turn back to me. And as a result, they're going to reap the whirlwind with more pain and suffering. And I'm going to send a more wicked country, Babylon, to punish and judge my very people, Judah. Would we have the humility to receive that type of answer from the Lord? How does Habakkuk respond? Verse 12, are you not from eternity? Lord, my God, my Holy One, you will not die. Lord, you appointed them to execute judgment. My rock, you destined them to punish us. How does Habakkuk respond? With worship, with praise. And I'm not talking about being Pollyannish at all. Habakkuk has been calling out to the Lord, where are you? Why don't you answer? Why don't you save? Evil is all around me. I can't tolerate it. I can't stand it. Where are you? And God says, I'm right here. But you want to know something? I'm going to judge your people. And even the righteous are going to be consumed. And the righteous will suffer consequences of the wicked. And Babylon, I'm going to rise up, I'm going to raise up, and they will come in and they will judge you, my covenant people. And it will not be easy. And you will suffer greatly. And how does Habakkuk respond? Praise and worship. He declares that God is eternal. He calls him my God, my Holy One, my rock. He worships God. He then goes on to say, God, you will never die because you are eternal. And you've appointed the Babylonians to execute judgment on us. That means you're sovereign, Lord. I don't like it. I don't want it. But I trust in you. And then Habakkuk goes right into lament again. Because he starts in verse 13. Your eyes are too, too pure to look on evil and you cannot tolerate wrongdoing. So why do you tolerate those who are treacherous? It's one of the great questions that we have. But Habakkuk is saying, God, I know you can't stand looking at wrongdoing and evil. And we are evil as a people. But how can you let, how can you allow a more wretched, evil country to come in and upon us and to use them to judge us? How can you do that, Lord? It's not fair. It's not right. And he goes on and we won't, we don't have time to continue all of this. But he describes the nations as the earth as like fish of the sea and the Babylonians as fishermen who collect them all. 
And at the very end of this chapter, he says, are you going to allow them to empty their nets and to continue to march across the land? Lament. If you guys don't mind pulling up the definition of lament again. What is lament? It's a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. It's to mourn. You see, here's the thing about Habakkuk. Habakkuk was bold enough to ask God the hard questions, but he was humble enough to receive God's answer, even if it meant suffering. There's a phrase I read. It comes from a commentary. It says, God is the friend of the honest doubter who dares to talk to God rather than about him. When you look in the book of Habakkuk, he's you, God, you, God, you. And he talks to the Lord, but he doesn't talk about the Lord. Habakkuk had an intimate relationship with the Lord. And here's one of the biggest differences between faithful lament and unfaithful lament. Habakkuk knew that God was good. And he knew that God was merciful. You see, Habakkuk trusts and assumes the Lord's goodness. And there's going to be times in our lives when we will suffer greatly and things will happen to us that we do not understand. We cannot comprehend. They might even be extremely difficult and painful. There can be great loss. And instead, I want to encourage all of us, myself included, instead of sitting in the judgment seat where we judge the Lord and his will and his ways, that we come to him humbly on our, on our knees with a heart posture of honor, knees, and humility, trusting in his goodness, trusting in his grace, even if his answer is hard even if it doesn't make sense. I want to invite the worship team to come back up. But if you've read the Chronicles of Narnia or even have seen the movie, when the children go through the wardrobe and they're in Narnia and they're with Mr. and Mrs. Beaver and they're explaining to them all that has gone on and the curse of the queen. And then they start talking about Aslan, who is the rightful king and ruler of Narnia. And the children, they're afraid and they say, is Aslan safe? And how do they respond? They're like, oh, no, he's not safe, but he is good. There will be times when God does not make sense. And we will go through suffering and loss. We will go through trials and tribulations. We will experience even temptations. Now, God does not tempt us. He does not tempt us to do evil. But he does discipline us because he loves us and he will allows us to go through trials and tribulations and we will suffer consequences of other people's wicked decisions. It will happen. Our challenge is, is how do we respond? Do we sit in the judgment seat judging the Lord for his will and his ways? Or do we humbly come before him and worship and praise? I want to invite you all to stand. And there's so many things I want to unpack to you, but we got to go eat. But here's a couple just things, foods for thought. 
What can we learn from this passage? Well, God is sovereign over all of history and over all nations. There will be times when God does not make sense with what he's doing. There will be times when it seems like God is silent and distant. And we call out and it seems like he's not answering. There will be many times when the just and the righteous will be consumed by the wicked. But it does not mean that God has abandoned his people. You see, it is vital for us to live out our faith, to have a faith with an eternal perspective. The life of Job. He suffered greatly. But what did he say when he lost everything and his wife told him, curse God and die? He said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. I was born into this world with nothing. I will leave with nothing. Though he slay me, I will praise him because I know that my Redeemer lives. And one day he will stand upon this earth and I will see him face to face. Your Redeemer lives. My Redeemer lives. And one day we will see Jesus face to face. That is the blessed hope we have. Even when we go through loss and trials and tribulations, sickness, strife, confusion, and loneliness. Jesus is our Redeemer. Never forget that. He will stand on this earth. He will make all things right. But I want to encourage you when we go through seasons of lament, be honest with the Lord. Come open-handed with the Lord on your knees in boldness and assurance that He will respond. And He is good. Let's worship Him.